Are we actually recording this time? We were recording last time. For no, the first we were 14 weren't. minutes. I was going to say 14 minutes. Well, what, do, what do you want me to an do? It's an hour and a half episode. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I swear to God. Well, you know that it was good. I know that it was super. It's just that everyone else just didn't get to hear the joy. They did. They just heard you replaced by Ollie. Mm. I mean, it's all right. It's chocolate Milo, but it's no, it's no Cadbury's. You bought it. I know. I didn't buy. I, I had it's, no say in this. It's all being... right. Right. It's not. I don't know. It just doesn't give you that chocolatey hit in the same way. It's a bit flat. All right. I'm sorry you've got a slurpy flat brew. Mm. Yeah, it's all right, though. So what's happening here is the, the episode that was lovingly crafted for you is not the one you're going to be recording. No, it's not. No, no, no. You're going to be recording something that was designed for somebody else. And we'll see how that goes. Well, I assumed thusly. Yeah, but it'll be. I'm sure it'll be okay. It'll and I have given you the comfy chair. I've got the comfy chair, but I've had to take my bobble hat off. Yeah. Um, I'm, my head's cold because I have a shaved head. Yeah, but at least so the headphones are warm in your ears. A little bit, but, I mean, it is nippy. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser-known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... This story. Yes, Begins yes in eighteen oh seven yes so, so we're Georgian we're Georgian oh when this house was built around when this house was built yes oh nice because this was the year that wealthy thirty seven year old brewer of beer Sir Henry Mew finally had enough of his partners Andrew Reed and the wonderfully named Mongo Murray Mew as in M E W Mew no Mew. as in M E U X but pronounced Mew. Well, no, it'd be meh, as no, in duh. I, I checked, it's mew. Not meh, as in duh. No, it's mew. Well, it's spelt wrong, but okay. I'll inform the mew family. You should. So, yes, he had had enough of his partners, Andrew Reed and mm-hmm. Mungo Murray. Mungo Murray. <laughs> and decided that he wanted to strike out on his own. Very good. At the time, the trio owned the Mew, Reed & Co. Brewing Company. I don't know why um, Murray didn't get it, why it wasn't Mew Reed, Murray and Co. Yeah. But it's Mew Reed and Company, which was the fourth biggest brewer in all of London. All of London town. And it was one of the innovators of Porter, a beer that would be aged at the brewery and drunk immediately upon delivery to the pub. So before then you um, would brew your beer, it would be sent to the pub and the pub would have to hold it while it fermented, essentially. Really? Yeah. So the the final part of the brewing process would be the Don't responsibility the of the pub. The joy of the porter was you sent the barrel there, mm. it was ready to go. You just popped, popped a tap in the barrel and away you went. You could serve it immediately. So is that literally the first of its kind of the type of that kind of beer then? It It's... The first time that porters were being made, I don't know if it was the first beer ever. Because I mean, obviously now, and I see, I don't drink beer, so this this might be conversations that normal people would know. But I don't drink beer at all, right? So when you go to the pub, yes, and you have your beer, yep, 
Are they all porters now? No, no, you get lagers, you get IPAs. But, you know, the technology's moved on that whatever's been taken to the pub is ready to drink. So the barrels will be loaded right, in so the basement. Right, so it was the first of the ready-to-drink. Yeah, it, right, was, okay, it was the sorry. innovation of the ready-to-drink. Sorry, I was just trying to catch up there. Right, OK. Now, the company had expanded to the point that it was selling over 100,000 barrels of the stuff each year since the turn of the century. So it's a massive, massive business. Yes. Yeah. But with the average Londoner drinking around 34 gallons of beer, or in your modern currency, 155 litres annually, compared to only around 70 litres per year today. Jesus Christ. Yep. Mew reasoned that the market was large enough for him to start a new brewery. But I'm I'm assuming, I'm assuming that's because um, your London water was a bit shit. Well, it is a bit shit now anyway, but it's it was even shitter then. Um, partially, yeah. Um, and then... Because most people drank beer, didn't they? Men, women, mm. children, all drank beer. Well, tea was a big thing as well at this point. Tea had come in. but In I, the same way as we have now. No, not in... The, it would have been... It so, wouldn't have drib, dribbled down your classes. Yeah. Tea? People were spending 5% of their income on tea at this point. Well, even your lowly lows? Yeah. So it's the, it had become the national drink by this stage. The Georgian period oh, was right. when it really flipped over but part of it as well would have been the um the social side of things the what you're going to do with your evening no one had a tv so everyone would go down the pub it was also probably shag well it was the the, (laughs) what most people did you didn't go down the pub and shag no i didn't no they were two they were oh right they were two separate two separate things that's essentially what the what there was to do was eat drink screw and you are basically putting together the, the lyrics of Common People by Pulp there. Yes. I actually thought you were going to claim that the snug, originally, the snug in the pub was the room that you went in for a quick bonk. It might be, who knows? But no, I mean, it was, you know, the pub would be a warm place to go and spend your evening. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, you're not you're not burning your fuel then, are you? No. You're not using your lighting fluid. Because, I mean, Georgian, you would have your gas lights. Yes, yeah. You wouldn't be, like, on candles. You would be on your gaslit candles. It was around that period it came in, I think, yeah. Because your electric... Late, late Georgian. Yeah, because your electrics weren't till the Victorian. Yeah. And then it was... And then again, it was a drip down. So oh, yeah, the wealthy, electric lights were the wealthy people first. Um, so, yeah. So, 70 litres per year today. But back then, everyone was drinking beer. And you... I'm going to start my own brewery. And then... I don't have to compromise my personal vision. I don't have to listen to what Mungo wants. Mungo can sort off. What's he got against Mungo? What's he done? I don't think he's done anything. I just think he wanted the freedom to to make all of the decisions. Oh, right. Fair enough. Because he had an unshakable belief Mm. that he was infallible when it came to all things brewing. Okay. And this sort of belief in him being right, the rightest person in any room had also led to the breakup of his previous partnership. His previous <laughs> it, brewing partnership. It These things are always a pattern. You always get that one person in the room. It doesn't matter who, who's talking, they're always right. Even if that person has done the job for 20 years, no, no, you know, Johnny know it all. 
Billy Big Bollocks will well, always be right. We all know that person. His previous partnership, his previous partnership, darling, mm. had been with his father, Richard Mew, the person who had literally taught him how to be a brewer. God almighty. Who was, at the time, the owner of the Griffin Brewery in Clerkenwell, which mm-hmm. is still producing award-winning porter to this day. Amazing. Albeit the brewery is now owned by Fuller's. So it's no longer a Mew brewery, but... But it's still going. It's it been in continuous use as a brewery since the Georgian era. So can era. you give us some names of any of the beers that have come out of that brewery? I cannot. That is very disappointing. I didn't write it down. It, they made an award-winning porter. Well, I, but I wanted to know the name. Well, What's it name? going to be called? You can, you can they always and, have an amazing name. You can go and look. I'm not stopping yet. We well, once made now. an entire canvas from beer labels. We did. Well, they were they were real ales. They were like real ale labels that we saved. We steamed them off mm. the bottles. We did, um, and we made an entire canvas with them, and every single one was different, and mm. it was fabulous. It was fabulous, we and I'd enjoyed it. drinking all of them. I know. Now, his dad's biggest claim to fame was having the largest beer vat in the country at the turn of the nineteenth century, right. which was able to hold a truly obscene. Two million litres of beer. The vat to construct it had cost a reported £10,000, which is over a million quid today. Yeah, but why would you need to brew that amount of beer in one go? Well, (coughs) it was able to ferment 20,000 barrels worth of porter at a time. It was economy of scale. Yeah, but is it though? He could fill any order. Well, yes, I know we could fill any order, right? But surely by the time you'd finished pumping this into your barrels, mm. it'd be minging. No, no, no. He 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 perfected this sort of massive no. industrialised um, beer production. All right. And it helped him become one of the biggest producers in London. Right. So it was all about economy of scale. Okay. You produce it in large enough amounts, you can buy in all your ingredients wholesale. I think it's wholesale. completely unnecessary. I think it's a bit gimmicky. It might be a bit gimmicky, but, you know, there's people drinking double the amount of beer. Because do you know what also that also is? A health hazard. Is it? Yes. Okay. I think, I, was it Jonathan Creek where somebody fell in a vat of beer? No, I think drowned? it was Midsummer Murders and it was it cider. Was, it was, I remember it thusly. It was great, what an episode. Somebody died, it was... It was Fabulous. Yeah, generally in Midsummer Murders, somebody does die. Well, yes, it's yeah. moiders. Mm. Although no longer on speaking terms with his dad. Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about his yeah. dad. Go on. <laughs> well, it was his dad's vat. It was his dad. Oh, yes, yeah. I remember this. Henry Mew took the lesson of economy of scale to heart. Okay. He bought the Horseshoe Brewery, which occupied a site on the junction of Tottenham Court Road and Oxford Street and which had been producing beer Fancy. since 1764. Yes. So it, he bought a business that was already all set up. Yeah, well, it's also a very prestigious address. Well, I don't know whether it would have been then, but it certainly is now. It wasn't so much a prestigious Was it on the corner of Tottenham Court Road and Oxford Street? Oxford Street. Yeah. I mean, what a place. Today, yes. Then, I agree with you. No. Then, not so much. Right, OK. And he began um, producing his own porter, in massive quantities, building up a supply network for pubs all across the city. Mm. Now, in North London, publicans apparently wanted to pretend they were somewhere else, with Muco pub names including the Copenhagen, the Welsh Harp, 
and right. Balmoral Castle. Okay. You'd be very upset if you put that into your Google Maps and you hadn't been paying attention. I yeah. Wanted, <laughs> I wanted to be in the Highlands of Scotland and I'm in... Why am I here? <laughs> Why? London. Why am I in North London? Why? Why am I here? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be mm. disappointing. So that's North London. In East London, there appeared to be a competition going for the most innovative name linking two random items. Oh, go on then. Such as... Oh, can I pick two? Go on then. The hat and spade. That'd be a good one. Mm. The lettuce and the flip-flop. I mean, I'd love the pub sign. Yeah. Do you want to hear some real ones? Yeah. That existed? Yeah. The sun and punch bowl. Okay. The king and keys. Oh, not too left field. Go on. The cock and bell. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And the last one, you want two random things thrown together. Yeah. If I said the fox, what would you go with? And horse, hound. Yes, those would be... Horn. Logical things to link. No, it's the fox and anchor. Because the one place you see foxes <laughs> is on ships. In the docks. <laughs> the fox in the docks. Oh, Foxy no. docks. Oh, no, we're turning into Dr Zeus. No, yeah. we, let's, let's steer far away from that. I will not hunt it on the docks. <laughs> I will not... F- I will, I will not, not hunt this sexy stupid, fox. <laughs> I was going to say this stupid fox. <laughs> now, in West London... Can I? Will I? In the docks? <laughs> Can I? Will I? With a fox? In West London, darling. Yes. The publicans appeared to have predicted the birth of the film industry. Oh, go on. With pubs named The Ring, oh. Robinson Crusoe and The Two Towers. No. There was also a pub called The Apollo, but sadly it was at number 28 Paddington instead of 13. If it had been 13 Paddington Street... That would have been perfect. And finally... Yes. If you if you know what I'm doing here, you know where I'm going next. We're going south. Yep, we're going to south London. We're going south for the river. And in south London, they're very simple. Go on. You can have any name, so long as it starts with arms. Uh, so long as it ended with arms, even. All right, the Radcliffe Arms. Oh, that would be a good one. The Baker's Arms. Mm, that would also be a good one, but the ones that I could find... Go on. These were just Mew co-brewers yeah. as well. These were ones that were supplied by Mew. Okay. The Hanover Arms, the Marlborough Arms, the Ordnance Arms, the Clarendon Arms, the Bowyer Arms, the Markham Arms, the Anglesey Arms, the Canterbury Arms, the Shookborough Arms, the Waterman's Arms, the Freemason's Arms, the Surrey Arms, the Pearly Arms, and two separate pubs called the Queen's Arms. And I feel they missed a trick because there should have been the Queen's left arm and, and the, the Queen's, Queen's right, right arm. arm. And are they two different queens or are they the arms of the same queen, thus making her some kind of beetle? Hmm. I don't know. Okay. I like the idea of a four-armed queen. <laughs> just, just you know, randomly. Or... I can hold my scepter, I can hold my orb, and I still have hands free for knighting mm. and smiting. Knighting and smiting. The fox, and the, smiting the fox on the docks. The fox on the docks. Knighting and smiting that fox on the docks. <laughs> Shall I? Will I? With my smite? I shall, I shall, with all my might. Brilliant. However, regardless of the names, the important thing was that Sir Henry Mew, because he managed to get a knighthood at some point, his gamble appeared to have paid off handsomely. You know, he'd had a business, he was sharing it, but it was a good, solid business. Mm -hmm. But now 
He'd scaled up production as quickly as possible, and he was producing the same amount of porter as his former company within only three years. And this time, he didn't have to share the profits three ways. So he'd essentially well, trebled his income. Because he left, so yeah. they only have to split it two. But they're still splitting it. Pound for pound, he's making more than them. Hmm. So yeah, it was a good. It was a good. He's choice. not coming across well. Is he not coming across well? No. You don't. How can you not like this man? This man of business. Such a business, because he just sounds. He told his father where to get off, and then he started yeah. a different company, and then he told his partners where to get off. Yeah, I don't like him. You don't like him? No. Okay. We'll see if he's we can giving, change it. He's giving twatty vibes. <laughs> just saying. Okay. It also appears in his pursuit of more profits that he didn't see the point in reinvesting some of that money into things like maintaining the equipment used at the brewery. They never do, though, do they, Joe? They never do. They never do the maintenance. Don't get me started now, 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 calm down. As the main type of beer being produced was porter, his brewery, rather than containing one massive vat, it contained racks of just large vats. Right. Each one of these vats was about seven foot tall and was able to hold the equivalent of 3,500 barrels. And like I say, while small by the standards of his father, Mm. they were large enough and they took up a good amount of the floor space in the brewery. Okay. So you just imagine racks and racks of these massive vats. I'm imagining. Fermenting away. Well, they usually, and I don't know whether they did then, but now, I mean, I've... I've seen a couple, you know, kind of like inside the factory type programs. Yeah. Obviously inside the brewery, but, you know, kind of that kind of thing where they're walking on like a a gangway between the vats, like above the vats. I imagine that kind of thing would probably... Yeah, it's a bit like the scene in Batman where the Joker gets made. Yeah. Yeah, big bubbling vats under you. Big bubbling vats of something of course these are kind of sealed i was gonna say they would have a lid on because otherwise anybody walking past would die yeah we'd midsummer murders them we would midsummer murders i can't even say it now i can't say it without saying murders that's fine i'm i don't think it's particularly offensive murders i don't know what accent we're going for but i don't even know none it sounds like a half arsed new york kind of maybe new jersey kind of accent but yeah murders the process of fermentation it not only creates the all-important alcohol content yes. in a beer or and a bit of any a drink. smell. Well, yes, and that smell is gas because it also creates quite a lot of CO2. Yes. And if the brewers don't pay attention, the resulting pressure can transform the vats of beer into what are essentially liquid time bombs. Yes, that's yeah. why they have to have vents that mm. are cleaned on them and gaskets and yeah, you've got a vent funnels and all this on the top. Because if you look at them, really, they look like massive kind of space capsules. They do these days. They do these days, but I imagine they'd be a somewhat clunkier version of that. I, I, I bet they've not changed that much, really. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm. If it ain't broke. If it ain't broke. This risk would increase if... As an example, just a passing example, mm. you didn't replace the iron ring securing the vats when they became corroded. Which they would do with, you know, the water content, the pressure, the steam, mm. the just what it's producing would corrode it, yes. So, on October the 17th, 1814, oh my God. there was indeed a vat that had corroded iron rings within the Horseshoe Brewery. 
Right. And the staff- is this on the corner of Tottenham, Tottenham Court, Court Road, Road and, and Oxford Street? Street? This is Sir Henry Mews Brewery. Yeah. And the staff working in the brewery apparently didn't notice the ominous creaking that indicated pressure was reaching dangerous levels within. Would you not think that somewhere round the top of this vat there'd be bubbles of some... or foam or, you know, some kind of... Well, there's creaking, there's there's a bit of rattling, but the staff might be distracted or they might just not be paying attention. Okay, But this would be over... This wouldn't just happen overnight. No, no, no. Like I said, this started in the morning. Uh, Around 2pm, though, one of the iron rings dramatically snapped... Pinged off. Yeah. Bing! <laughs> off he goes across the workshop, across the brewery, <laughs> knocking some poor bastard out, probably, or if not, impaling him. But even this didn't appear to worry the workers who failed to take any steps to investigate if this might indicate there was an issue that might need their attention. Yeah, I think if it was me, I would have packed up my, li- up my little briefcase. Or I don't think you take a briefcase if you work on the factory on the brewery floor i don't think that's a job that requires a briefcase to be fair if you'd let me finish or whatever i would take to work kind of you know yeah probably a lunch box of some description yeah a lunch pail um and i would have got my flat cap and my For, coat indeed it would be a flat cap that it, you would oh, wear, it yeah. would it would be some kind of cloth hat of some description some description mm. um, and I would have toddled off home alright so you wouldn't have reported it either you'd just gone well that looks dangerous anyway <laughs> bye guys no I would have I would have I would have shouted loudly as I was leaving um, well, you that might want to look at that three that that doesn't look safe and I am off fire me if you must but I'd rather be fired than dead mm. I think would be my final comment on that well some people may have left because this happened at 2pm mm. At around 3pm, the remaining workers were presumably as surprised as anyone when the fermenting vat burst, sending a tidal wave of warm beer toward the back wall of the brewery. Yeah, I'd be like scalding hot beer. No, it wasn't scalding hot, it was just warm. There's a a chemical process on that creates warmth, but it's not, like, boiling. Is it not boiling? No, it's like a warm bath. Oh, The force of the rushing liquid Mm. tore down several large roof beams and also managed to tear up a couple of other vats of porter which added to the deluge and increased the force with which the rear wall of the brewery was eventually struck. So it's a bit of a cascade of crap happening there. Right, so, I mean... Although it was like an accident waiting to happen, Mm. really, because no bugger was testing it, questioning it or anything. Yep. This is now somewhat of a catastrophic event as it has taken taken out beams of the brewery yep. supports the works and it's made its way through the back wall of the brewery oh no it's just hit the back wall of the brewery well it's got to go somewhere yeah and unfortunately those roof beams have just become rather effective battering rams being yeah. pulled along yeah naturally the wall collapsed yeah, but naturally and a 15-foot tidal wave of warm beer and debris from the brewery erupted into the streets of London. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming alongside the debris there as well would possibly be some other bits of vats and machinery. Oh, yeah, there's there's loads of stuff. It's like whenever you get a flood, you know, the water itself is one peril, but it's all the stuff that's swirling around in it. Oh, yeah, God, could you imagine how it? much other equipment that, that that would have taken along with it? Mm. 
well, all like you say, all the bits of every destroyed vat is going along with it. Oh yeah, because it, would, it wouldn't beams. just be that vat that's gone. It would have taken others with it, and all the bricks now that used to be the back wall. I was going to say all the around. all the bricks or the stone or whatever was the wooden, and then you know, like like we were talking about the the walkways. Mm. If there was any walkways over the vats, all those would have gone completely. Mm. It would have washed those out from the ground level. Probably anything that was standing by. <laughs> The Times newspaper mm. described the event in a rather understated manner. <laughs> very, how very British. How yes. very British of them. See if this describes the, the, the level of sort of um, catastrophe in your mind. The bursting of the brew house walls and the fall of heavy timber materially contributed to aggravate the mischief by forcing the roofs and walls of the adjoining houses. Mischief. Yes, this was a bit of a mischief. It was a bit of a to-do, a oh, hoo-ha. It was a hoo-ha. I, how I can't even begin to tell you how British that official statement is by the Times. Hmm. Oh, there was a ruckus. Was there a ruckus? Well, there was a mishap. Hmm. And there to, was a to-do. To be fair, although it is estimated that over one and a half million litres of beer escaped through the breach in the wall of the brewery. Mm-hmm. That's actually less than the volume of an Olympic swimming pool. And it would be reasonable to assume that provided it was flowing out onto a, a broadish London street, mm. the tsunami of beer would be little more than a curiosity no, for fuck the locals that. to right. go up No. Have you ever seen on YouTube somebody burst in the side of a paddling pool? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's tiny in comparison to what's just gone. No, but, I mean, at the front of the brewery, you've got the brewery yard and then you've got a wide, broad street and it would no. quickly dissipate. You only need to spill a cup of water to see how far it goes. Yeah, I'm saying it would go far, but in terms of it would be breadth, not depth. You know, it would spill out and quickly mm. be... I don't know. I'm, I'm, hold, I'm, I'm reserving judgment on this. I'm reserving judgment. It, it sounds like it's going to... It's going to be horrific. Well, the, the problem is it didn't spill out the front onto a widish broad street, you know. Right. The rear wall of the brewery, unfortunately, just so happened to form one of the boundaries of an area known as the St Giles Rookery. Right. In English cities at the time, rookery mm. was a nice way of describing a slum area. I was going to say it'll be a, it'll be a slum. Based on... The similarity, the perceived similarity between the mm-hmm. residents who call these districts home and large mobs of carrion birds living in ramshackle nests built in a chaotic and seemingly random manner. How kind. Yes. How kind. But rather than calling it the St Giles slum, they were like, rookery. That's mm. nice, isn't it? Let's use a euphemism for slum. For slum, yeah. The residents of St Giles specifically were described as being made up almost exclusively of, and this is a direct quote, Irish and aliens, beggars and dissolutes, and depraved characters. Or alternatively, being lived in by, another direct quote from people at the time, a corporation of whores, coiners, sweaters, highwaymen, boards, pickpockets and housebreakers in search of opportunities to exercise their villainy. So the Tories wrote this, did they? Well, actually, both of these were written... um, by posh people who'd been taken on a guided tour of the rookery by the constabulary. So it'd almost been a bit of poverty tourism. 
and they'd gone in and they'd seen this terrible thing and they'd come out. But because morality at that time was linked to being rich, if you weren't rich, you had some kind of moral failing. They felt that they could just go, oh, and weren't they terrible people? Rather than, maybe we should do something to help. Why are the poor villainised, Joe? Um, What, back then? It was just seen in order to justify your incredible wealth it's just of the so, upper classes. To be honest, it's just something I've I've never really understood. I don't know why being poor makes you some kind of heinous arsehole and not a lot's changed. Because the rich need to be able to justify why they have more. And historically, they've always done Probably it by going, we must stolen be, it. But they don't want to admit that. It's we must be more morally righteous than the poor people. And if they just sort themselves out, it's the whole... Well, if they didn't buy cappuccinos or, you know, if they didn't waste all the money, kind of conveniently ignoring the fact that the people saying that are sitting on inherited wealth and haven't actually contributed anything to society at all. All they've done is had money make more money by being money. And they feel that gives them moral superiority. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a tsunami of beer hitting a slum area at high speed. We are, we are, in, in, in essence, talking about... Poor immigrants. Hmm. So not not a lot changes, really, does it? St Giles himself was the patron saint of lepers, which added to the feeling that this was an area where only the most hard-up would choose to live. Well, that's just a pile of shite. What is? Well, because... Because that's not even their fault. No, none of this is the fault of the people who live there. It's just like somebody living on, like, dog-shit alley you know, isn't necessarily covered in dog shit. You know what I mean? It's just it's just the name of where it is. What's that got to do with anything? To be honest, though, would you buy a house on Dog Shit Alley, even if it was a nice house? Or would you be looking at... Well, there's, there's a similar house. It's not quite as good, but it's on Buttercup Lane. I think I'd rather buy the fixer-upper on Buttercup Lane than the finished house on Dog Shit Alley. <laughs> I, I am that. I am that much of a snob. Yeah, apparently, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I don't want to live on dog shit alley. Well, yeah. just goes to show. Ten years of marriage. I didn't. Uh, I didn't necessarily know that of you, Joe. Well, I don't want to live on dog shit alley. No. You could have assumed. The conditions. <laughs> Quite clearly, we don't live on dog shit alley. That's not our official address. <laughs> Consistently eccentric HQ, number one, dog shit alley. (laughs) Hesham. The conditions in St Giles Rookery were naturally terrible, with cramped alleyways winding through the crumbling buildings, lean-tos and shacks, with many families living in single rooms, Mm. including the attics, and, more importantly to this story... The basements. Indeed, the basements. The dank, dark basements. Well, yes... In one basement room, just off George Street, Mary Bamfield and her daughter Hannah were trying to make the best of things after the untimely death of Mary's husband had pushed them abruptly into financial hardship. See, this is what I'm talking about, Joe. It's like, don't villainise the poor. It's just shit. Well, they're doing the best. and They're rather doing than, their best. Rather than give in to the vice of drink, they had instead made a nice pot of tea and were just settling down to an afternoon cuppa when the flood of beer poured into their tiny cramped living space. Oh, my God. They were both found later drowned. So this story is just shit from the get-go, really, isn't it? And those poor bastards are 
drowned in a vat of beer. Mm. In another basement room a few doors down, a tragedy had already been playing out. An Irish Catholic family were holding a small wake for their two-year-old son who had died the day before. Oh, my God. His small body was laid out on the table while the mourners solemnly stood vigil. That was until the room was rapidly filled with porter, turning it into a maelstrom of bodies. When all was said and done, the room contained five extra corpses. Oh, for God's sake. The wave of beer rushed onwards, causing a further death as it broke down walls on its journey through the slum, until it finally broke upon the walls of a pub, the Tavistock Arms. And when I say broke upon, I really mean broke through it, because it smashed the wall down. So it was still going with some considerable force. See, this is what I was talking about, my paddling pool. If you ever go on YouTube and see somebody being a numpty um, and either sitting on, weighing on or breaking the side of a paddling pool, thinking the water's just going to trickle out then they are sadly, sadly mistaken because it goes with one hell of a rush. Do you do you not remember? Do you not remember when we lived down south and our downstairs neighbours flooded their flat? With a jacuzzi. With a jacuzzi. With an inflatable jacuzzi that they put and in their wet room. Yeah. <laughs> in the vain hope that their wet room... <laughs> that the drainage... When they opened <laughs> like a, a five-inch wide... <laughs> drainage hole in the side that a two inch wide drain would be able to accommodate all of that water we came home from a weekend away with our eldest as she was she was just a baby to an entire flat's worth of stuff downstairs from down the downstairs flat luckily we didn't live on the downstairs flat in the downstairs flat we lived above so we were unaffected completely but good god Mm. It was horrendous. So I, I can I can imagine I can imagine this was widespread devastation. To be honest, well, the unfortunate bit about the wall of the Tavistock Arms being knocked down was that uh, a barmaid called Eleanor Cooper was stood directly on the other side of that wall. Oh my god! And she was killed instantly, flattened instantly, squashed yes. by a wave of beer hitting a wall. Well, squashed by the wall. <laughs> yeah. Unperturbed by the corpses floating in it. Once the initial wave had subsided, the residents of St Giles Rookery, the ones whose homes had not been destroyed, took the opportunity to scoop up as much of the free booze as they could, mm-hmm. reportedly filling any containers they had to hand, or even scooping up the liquid with their bare hands and drinking it straight from the street. Free beer's free beer. I am not. I'm, I am saying nothing against these people. They've been shat mm. on from every si- every which way and uh, to be honest I'd be getting pissed on street beer as well to be honest the most remarkable thing about all these people drinking street beer Mm. was that only one further death was reported as having occurred due to acute alcohol poisoning (laughs) that'd be me (laughs) death death by alcohol poisoning death by street beer street beer yeah Mm. supping it out of gutter Mm. Now, while the wake for the two-year-old boy had been a private affair, Mm. when you're home and many of your family have been killed by a freak industrial accident, you need to try and make money where you can for the repair work. Mm. Because none of these guys in St Giles Rookery had insured these shacks and ramshackle buildings. Why the fuck would they? Yeah. And it turned out that Regency Society loved a bit of dark tourism just as much as the later Victorians did. Oh, my God. They were so maudlin. Mm. 
Well, it was it was it was very indecent, really. I mean, when you think about it, it was it was disgusting, wasn't it? Well, the well-to-do, well-heeled people of London, uh, they were willing to pay to see the laid-out bodies of the unfortunate souls who had drowned in beer. I bet they bloody did. They were absolutely as the grand finale. What's the word? Is it reprehensible? It can be. Mm. But that yeah. was the grand finale. So they do a tour of the disaster zone and then as the the final flourish it be and now see the corpses of the paws who Here died. Here they are, rotting, covered in beer. Smell the smell. Give yeah. them a poke. Mm. This morbid fascination, though... I've it, never wanted to be rich. It it, all... Apparently it turns you into a right twat. But this, this dark tourism, this fascination yeah. they had, it almost led to another secondary tragedy right. when the amount of people squeezing into a room to look at the pickled bodies caused the floor to collapse. <laughs> plunging the gorpers waist deep into a beer-filled cellar room underneath oh, them. Oh, let them drown, let the Unfortunately, drown. it wasn't deep enough to let them drown. Oh, uh, they just ended up ruining the very, posh, posh outfits. Very disappointing. Yeah. But it, it serves them right. It does. Yeah, I have, I, yeah whatever. Yeah, I wouldn't mourn their deaths. You'd you'd naturally assume at this point... Would I? ...that there would also have been an opportunity for bereaved families to claim some kind of compensation through the courts, maybe. No, they're too poor for that. But too poor. They've clearly been the victim of uh, industrial negligence. Yeah, but if your entire family's been wiped out, who's left to claim? I don't know. Exactly. That's what I mean. You can still ask for some kind of compensation. You can go to the government and say... Well, look at what's happened to us. We need some kind of yeah, but support. If to your entire our lives. family was wiped out in that, mm. then and you'd be one of them. There'd be nobody left to claim. Well, you'd you'd think that, but I can confirm that Sir Henry Mew, he was taken to court over the disaster. Oh, go on. Who was brave enough? I, I don't know. I just know that he was taken to court. That's very disappointing. Now, I want to know. I want to pat them on the back now, and call rather, them here. Rather than just accept responsibility, apologise and pay out some compensation, yep. he argued there's no way he could have been expected to know that his equipment could not continue to be used indefinitely with little or no maintenance. What, apart from the eyes in his head? No, no, no. There's, he said There is off. nothing I can do. It is not like I check them. Um... Um, what do you expect? I, no, I expect you to check them. You have two eyes in your fucking head. You would have been able to see that that was subpar. You just didn't give a shit. Or he could have said, I paid someone to do that. It's not on me. Sue that guy. That was his job. He didn't do his job. There's loads of ways around it. But his argument that... Ultimately, I'm sorry, it's his company. The book stops with him. Well, the judge agreed with Henry. Of course he did, because yeah, I bet he paid him off. And it was decided, legally speaking, that the beer flood had not been caused by negligence. Oh, had it not? Mm. Oh, what a surprise! But had, in fact, been... A natural disaster. No, an An act act of of God. God. An act of God. Which is a very fun... An act of God. It's a fun way of saying that from the point of view of the court... I relinquish any responsibility... No, no, no. No one can be held responsible for an act of God. So the courts are basically saying it's a wash. No one is responsible for this. It was God. That's disgusting. In fact, it doesn't really, surprise me, but it's disgusting. Really, if you think about it, the fault lay with the residents of the rookery. Because for if they, living there, they're yeah. having the fucking audacity to live there. Because if they tried just oh a little bit harder, God, don't. a little bit harder not to be destitute, they never would have been in the position to be drowned in a freak beer-related flood in the first place. So really, 
it was their own moral choices that had led to this this death. Do you know what I'm surprised about? I'm surprised there was there hasn't been in in history more serial killers of posh people. It's hard to serial kill posh people because they're noticed and missed and they, they actually will chase it up. I understand this and I, I've watched enough serial killer doc- documentaries with you to understand that this is not how it works. But, oh my God. Like, there's so few posh people that you hear of in history that have a redeeming feature. <laughs> there are so few. Yeah, but darling, I am cherry picking people. For you. Uh, even so. Just to get your righteous anger this up. This story wasn't even for me. Yeah. It's riled me. Good. Oh, I hope Mew dies. But, well, I hope he dies in the vat of his own beer. I hope somebody pushes him in. I would have done. I would have cooked him. Even bastard. without the threat of being sued, though. Ugh. The disaster had cost Henry's brewery approximately £23,000, which works out to around £1.25 in today's money. It was more than enough to bankrupt the brewery and to leave Sir Henry personally out on his ear. You know, this would be the ending of him, the ruining of him. But he owns that big vat that's worth all that money. That's his dad's vat for the last time, Richard Mew. Yeah, but he's not He's not around. He is. Is he? Yeah. Oh, right, he hasn't died yet. No. Oh, right. Or at least it would have bankrupted Henry and his company. Oh, did he go cap in hand to his daddy? No. That's a, That's... Unusual. He didn't have to go cap in hand to his daddy. He went cap in hand to the friends that he'd made in high places when he became a sir. Uh, and despite the whole affair officially being an act of God, remember, the <laughs> government at the time were happy to do Sir Henry a favour by allowing him to reclaim the excise duty paid on the beer. Why? They also decided to grant the brewery the equivalent of £400,000 in compensation for the lost barrels of beer. So the people whose houses got knocked down weren't allowed any compensation because it was an act of God. No, they died, Joe. They well, they didn't get they didn't not just get no, compensation. There were plenty of people who lost the their houses and were still alive. Bastards died. They drowned in beer. Well they don't need compensation then. But the people who you know could have benefited from compensation, they don't get it because it's an act oh. of God. But Sir Henry Mew Is he, it time for him to die yet? He does get compensation from the government. Does it, is it time for him to die yet? <laughs> no. Oh <laughs> Though obviously the government did not see fit to provide any compensation to the people of St Giles. No. Yeah. It is reported that the area continued to stink of stale beer for months after the event as they didn't even give support to help clear it up. So they didn't just not give compensation, they didn't even help the local council and the government to clear it up. They were like, they'll sort the rookery out eventually. Could you imagine the rats? Yeah. Could you imagine the drunk fermented rats? (laughs) Does it look any different to the eyes of a rich person if it's covered in beer or not? Did they even go and look at it? With the timely government assistance, mm. Sir Henry was able to pay for the necessary repairs and within so... a year, the Horseshoe Brewery was back to producing massive amounts of porter as if nothing had ever happened. Right, and I know I know how the system or the shit system works, but, like, literally, this man has done nothing. Mm-hmm. And I just want to reiterate that for everybody. Everybody. This man has literally done nothing to become a sir, much like Sir David Cameron. Done nothing. Apart from screw people over. Done nothing. No, he schmoozed with the right people. That's all you need to do. Mm. Yeah. He also fucked a dead pig, but there you go. Sir Henry celebrated 
the getting back to normality, mm. by getting married two years later on November the 1st, 1816, to Elizabeth Mary Smith. With his son and heir, Henry Mew Jr., or Mew Too, <laughs> for the Pokemon fans out there, being born the next year on December 28th. See, now that poor that poor little kid's going to be tarred with his dad's brush, and I think his dad's an utter knobhead. Well, now he had a family of his own. Yeah, he, he won't continue... Henry Senior reflected on the disaster. His yeah. focus on profits had created, and he decided to use some of his wealth to give back to the local community. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Not unless it directly benefits him. Well, you're right, he didn't. He used the money to send his son to Eton and then on to Christchurch. Mm. at Oxford, rubbing shoulders with the right sort of people. Until in 1831... (laughs) Morris Johnson! In 1831, Henry Senior was finally accepted into the upper classes and was made a baronet. So he received a title. I've absolutely... I'm I'm actually seething. I'm actually seething, but nothing changes. He passed this this title of baronet onto Henry Junior along with the Horseshoe Brewery, upon his death on April the 7th, 1841, peacefully at the age of 70. It's like people people look at the English aristocracy, don't they? And they go, oh, it must be so lo- lovely living in a world of lords and ladies and this and that. And It's not. It's an absolute fucking farce. Hmm. Because they have done nothing to deserve those. Nothing. They've done nothing of note. Nothing of benefit to anybody. It's just passed down or it's bestowed upon by people who they've rubbed shoulders with, sucked knobs, patted bottoms, and it's just like, it's just a load of bollocks. Okay. I'm riled. Let's try and lift the tone. Lifting the tone. And while it initially seemed like Henry Jr., Mewtwo, would live the same consequence-free life his father had enjoyed, this didn't turn out to be the case. Did it not? So the sins of the father were in a in a way, visited upon the son. Because it seems that prior to inheriting Mm. the responsibility of running the brewery, Mm. Henry Jr. had lived a carefree life of excess and debauchery. Of course he has. Either that or he... Because Daddy helped him. Either that or he'd had at least one night... He'd had at least one one one-night stand. Because we know that at some point before the age of 24, when Mm. he began to settle down, Henry Jr. had managed to contract syphilis. (laughs) Who's he been nobbing? Well, it could have been practically anyone because it was estimated... <laughs> it was anybody with legs. It was estimated that up to... Or one, not legs. Up to one-fifth of Londoners were infected at the end of the 18th century, meaning it was likely that a good proportion of the population were carriers less than half a century later. It hadn't burnt through... Oh, my And God. we still didn't have a treatment for it. No. Either way, by the time of his inheritance, Henry Jr.'s syphilis was in a latent stage. And he must. Oh no! No, latent is where there's no symptoms. Oh right. So he must have. Oh, I thought you meant. Ele- sorry, I, I thought you meant later. Stage. No, latent. Oh, right. Latent. Stage. So he'd had the original flare-up where you see all of the sores and stuff, and you go, yeah. "Oh shit!" Yeah. And then it all went away. Mm. And he must have just thought, "Oh god, that was lucky. It's resolved itself." I mm. thought I was going to have to go I had down a brush the pox with doctor. It. Yeah. I had a brush. I had a brush with it, but it was nothing. Nothing too much. Please, can you help me, Fox and Dox? I seem to have contracted the genital pox. <laughs> but it was fine. Fox and Fox and Dox and Socks? It was fine. Put your socks oh me, oh mine. Six years after the death of his father, at the age of 29, Henry Mew Jr. 
mm. became a Conservative MP for Hertfordshire. Oh, oh, oh! This just this, see this is this is just adding to the fact that things just never fucking change. Never. Can you not hit things when you talk? Because then we can't hear your beautiful voice in anger. I'm just, I'm so cross. I know you are. Unfortunately for Henry Jr., his luck began to run out in 1855. Right. When it was noticed that he'd started to show symptoms of mental decline. He was one of the estimated one third of sufferers who were unfortunate enough to have their latent syphilis develop into the very dangerous tertiary stage. Ooh. Mm. That's where the brain starts to turn to goo. Oh, my God. And bits may start to fall off. I was going to say, is th- isn't this what happened in The Libertine? Mm. This is what happened to The Libertine, isn't it? Mm. Fabulous film. So one third of brilliant. people who have syphilis, will it will develop into this at some point in their lives. Mm. And they'll start to see the, the real sort of harrowing effects that this disease can have. Mm. However, this distressing development didn't stop Henry getting married in January of the next year to the very much upper class. And you can tell just by her name. You ready for this one? God, I'm, I'm, I'm braced. Lady Louisa Caroline Brundle Bunce. Jesus Christ. Bunty. Bunty. Bunty for short. She was called Bunty. Well, she went to Eton. She was the daughter of the third Marquis of Aylesbury. <laughs> and amazingly, despite the continued cognitive decline, Henry... And his new and very likely concerned bride, Bunty, managed to have a child together late in 1856. Can the can the child via no. procreation contract syphilis? Mm, he didn't. I don't know if it's possible. I don't think it is. Because I'm just I'm just thinking, if it was at that stage, mm. if if they had sex, she could have probably had it, and then there would be no other option, really. For her than other other than a vaginal birth, so yep. that would have been. Well, he didn't. He was Henry Mew Junior Junior, Mew Three, better known as Henry Buse, uh, Henry Bruce Mew. So to Muse, the Muse, <laughs> the Muse. <laughs> now, by the start of eighteen fifty-seven, yeah, it was clear to everyone that Henry Junior was not doing too well. Me too's not. He's it... not doing too well. Oh, do you know In what? Fact... How she could even let him near her. She didn't anymore. That was that was a brief tryst before it got really oh, clear. Just balkworthy. In fact, there were serious concerns that he may need to be formally declared insane. <laughs> this was particularly inconvenient for the conservative. Stop people before. Well, it was particularly inconvenient for the Conservative Party, as there was a general election scheduled for March. He wasn't the original monster raving loony, was he? No. That would have been a fantastic twist. So the Conservatives are in a bit of a bind. What do they do? They just get rid of him. Well, he's a sitting MP and he's not wanting to stand down. In the end, they decided that because he didn't want to vacate his seat and Mm. they didn't want to run the risk of a contest Mm. between two other potential candidates sort Mm. of mudslinging at each other, that they would just let him stand as an MP. Despite being a man actively losing his grip on reality at this point. (laughs) Again, it's not stopped the Conservatives before. The fact that he was losing his grip on reality was confirmed in 1858 when he became bed-bound with a diagnosis of general paralysis of the insane. So he was was essentially a dribbling head in a bed at this point. Yes, he was also still an MP for Hertfordshire. 
And then, as now... Well, at least he's not going to do anything stupid, because if he's literally a dribbling head in a bed, he can't do anything, can he? Yeah, but he can't exactly represent his constituents. So they're probably better off without him. Well, then as now, being unable to actually perform the function of a Member of Parliament was not seen by the Conservative Party as a reason to give up your seat. He's not even a functioning person Mm. at this point. Instead, what they managed to do, somehow, was to convince the opposition Whig Party to provide a pair for Henry. This essentially was an agreement that neither man would vote in the House, cancelling each other out. Right. This was probably because they had just increased the number of seats by 53 and had a massive majority of 100, so the Whigs didn't really care. They were like, Oof. so one of your guys is insane. We can do whatever we want anyway, of course. You know, whatever drama you're doing, that's fine. The more of you that are kept away. And it's nice to know that at least one of you is actively insane. This farcical situation of having an insane man as an MP for Hertfordshire. None of this is surprising. It was maintained for over a year. I'm convinced half the House is insane now. Before another general election was called in 1859. By this time, all of Henry Jr.'s affairs were being managed by a board of trustees, and they decided that, on balance, it was probably best that a man who was not to be trusted on what he would wear on a day-to-day basis be given an opportunity to potentially vote on national policy. This is a man, this is a man who I can only imagine is now on a completely liquid diet. Mm. He doesn't take himself to the toilet. He doesn't dress himself. He thinks he's being visited by otherworldly things. How he is actually holding any form of power. He's Could a, you imagine? He's still a baronet. He's a sir. Did I mention he was knighted at some point? So uh, he's that a doesn't sir surprise as well. me. Right. So that this is so a he's a knight of the realm. He's a baronet, and he's a member of parliament. All while being legally insane. The the poorer communities, mm. that poor bastard would have been locked away. Oh yeah. At the first sign of a twiddle, a brain twiddle. Well, back in the bedlam a brain days, whoopsie. you would be put in. Um, a, you would have straw for a bed and you would only get new clothes if your family could provide it. That wouldn't be provided to you. Exactly. Could you, could you actually imagine, like, anything... Even even at that level, the level of privilege... Yeah, I mean... Because he's, he's been allowed to carry on mm. and he's just been mollycoddled by trustees at this point. Well, he's decided, not in no, no asylum. They decided that they did need to lock him away at this point. So they bought uh, an estate in Wiltshire um, where he spent the final 24 years of his life. Was it Longley? No. No, it wasn't Lord Bath was certifiable. Yeah, but he was still able to put his pants on. I'm not sure. Now, Henry II, he was alive long enough to see his son become the third Henry Mew to run the Horseshoe Brewery. Hmm. But once this third iteration of Sir Henry, because the third one got a knighthood as well... Of course. ...died childless in 1900, Mm. the brewery passed into the hands of his wife. And she... Unusual. ...didn't quite know what to do with a brewery. No. And with all the money. So what she did... Spend it. She used it to buy some naval guns for the British Navy as a gift. All right. And while she was in the process of sorting this out, she met a rather dashing naval officer called Sir Hedworth Lampton. Mm. And she took a shine to this young Sir... Sir Hedworth. Sir Hedworth. Um, And she decided that she had a brewery. Mm -hmm. She didn't know what to do with it. Men like beer. She'd gift it to Sir Hedworth in her will, 
with only one condition. Mm-hmm. That in order to receive this gift upon her death, he would have to change his last name to Mew. <laughs> that is amazing. I mean, he's going to get a brewery <coughs> out of it, a business. You would, wouldn't you? Well, he did. And in 1910, he became the new owner, now Sir Hedworth Mew. Sir Hedworth Mew. Unfortunately, taking the name of a famous brewing family does not give you the skills that come with a lifetime of experience. And within a decade of Sir Hedworth taking charge, the brewery was sold. Mm -hmm. It was demolished in 1922 and replaced with the Dominion Theatre, which is still there on the site to this day. Yeah, I've been in. You've been in the Dominion Theatre? I watched We Will Rock You. Okay, well, then you have been on the site of the beer flood. It's a lovely theatre. I bet it is. I bet it's better than the brewery was. Now, although the the brewery was shut, the Mew Brewing Company itself continued to exist in one form or another until mm-hmm. 1961. Arguably, only 147 years and three knighthoods after it should have been shut down for the deaths of nine innocent people. Yeah, it's still no recompense, is it? It's still it's still no recompense. And, and I don't is, like any of them. That is the story of the London Beer Flood, which holds the title of being the second most deadly alcohol-based flood to have occurred in the British Isles. Mm. The second, because there is a bigger one, you know, <laughs> which we may cover we in future. Could. We may cover, we may cover. That one involves fire as well. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a burning beer. Oh, mm. gosh, wow. <laughs> what I makes hope... the liquid more scary? It's on fire. I'm sure Ollie would have found it a lot more funny than I did. <laughs> No, I think he would have gone with the exact same level of frustration. It's just it it's so it's so frustrating because absolutely nothing changes. All these all these years later, these are still the problems that are, are here now. So mm. to hear that we've actually not come anywhere down the road. Not really. It's just it's just very disappointing. Well, I'm glad that what I've done with your evening is disappoint you. <laughs> There you go. Put whatever joke in there you want to. Such as life. Oh, there's so many jokes that you could put in there. Mm. But at least you did have a little titter at the idea of the fox in the docks. The fox in the docks with the fox and the socks. We've we've got that out of it. We have. If nothing else. That and a sense of deep-seated rage. Rage, yeah. And you know what? Holding the steadfast belief that beer is indeed bad for you. Yeah, if you get an Olympic swimming pool's worth poured over your head while you're in a basement. Yeah. 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 It is bad for you in those situations, definitely. <laughs> so don't do that. No. Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.